individual spectrum. Yeah, a cloud is know? like the self, you know, it's, it's an illusion of a unified entity, mm. but in reality, it's just a whole bunch of stuff doing its best. Just kind of mm. going wherever the wind takes it, you know, and every once in a while explodes into a torrential dust. It just kills everyone. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 374 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game day of comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the web programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's July 29th, 2020. Before we get started, we have a warning. Uh, there's going to be swears and curses and profanity in this show. Maybe, so if you don't like bears. that, well, maybe some hexes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of hexes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of moving over to hexes from curses because we feel like curses are just too easily dispellable, and there's too many classes in yeah. the game now that can get rid of them. Yeah, hexes uh, are also they're like a more portable spell format. Also, you know, you mm-hmm. can sort of put them on a, a lot of different platforms. Understand hexes a little better than curses. Curses kind of like old. Yeah, yeah and you don't need as many reagents to yeah. perform them. Yep. Uh, they're quicker, mm-hmm. quick and dirty. You know, you can just you can just bust out three or four hexes, no problem. Oh, but a single curse might take you all afternoon because you got to draw the shapes on the ground. Yeah. You got to like yeah. light the candles. You got to mm-hmm. get dolls and stab them. I mean, the whole thing is just a real. It's a, lot. It's a real undertaking. Yeah, but we you know, know what's interesting. interesting. There's the, you know, there's that you know, we talk about the Jevons paradox a lot, right? Uh huh. And you know, people oh, yeah. wanted to make. Curse is a little more efficient, you know, which were the kind of the hex, you know, came Because you didn't want to spend all day casting curses. Yeah, yeah everyone's yeah, like, no, oh, I, I need, yeah. I, could, I could get like three more curses in today if they were just, you know, half as, you know, took half as long to do. And now it's true, yeah. but everyone's just, actually, the demand has just gone up because, you know, curses are just, hexes now basically become so much more available that everybody just, everybody and their dog wants yeah, but it also reveals the nuance of the Jevons paradox, right? Because now there's a more diversity of, of spells that you're basically casting on people. Because like with yeah. the hexes, yeah, sure, you, you you're making more now because the demand's gone up, right? But now you're making uh-huh. ten different hexes for like one curse, right? So like the one curse yeah. does one thing. Like all of your, uh, I don't know, your your entire ancestral line uh, is ghosts now or something, right? Yep. Yep. But yep. Just one thing. Easy. That's I an mean, easy one. That's cool. Yeah. That's like a cool thing, right? Very, very powerful, very effective, very scary, mm-hmm. right? But you get the hexes, though. Now it's like everywhere you step is sticky, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like your mustache modular. hair now pokes into the inside of your nose and tickles you yeah, all yeah. day. And no matter you what you do, it's going to pop right back. Cut, cut it, grows back, right? It doesn't matter it's what you do. It's just going to poke you right in the inside of your nose yeah, again. Yeah, hit somebody with yep. 10 things like that, right? Same amount of effort as one curse. And now that person... Sure, ghosts, spooky, right? But like having every moment be just frustrating, just kind of irritating. Oh yeah, it's miserable. It's way, it's way more effective. So you know, we're trying to, we're trying to move into you know just a better use of our time. Uh, Mm. So yeah, we're we're kind of moving into the hex model. So get more hex for your buck. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at MoneyGrab.Bscotch.Net. Thank you so much for uh, letting us grab your money. Um, We'll think about you know not. Not hexing you, mm-hmm. I guess. Think yeah, about it. It. <laughs> it's the best way we'll think to about it. I mean, we're still going to do it, but like, we'll think about it. Um, you gave me pause. Also, yeah, uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about whether we are okay, because some of you know we are in St. Louis, and oh boy, it flooded. Uh, Adam and I are in St. Louis, and we got, I believe, in some, in some of the sort of townships – St. Louis is, you know, it's, it's oh, pretty, yeah, it's, it's kind place. of sprawling, yeah. you know. There's um, hills, rolling hills, you know, like mm-hmm. it covers the gamut in terms of how vertical you are up in the air. Yeah. So, like, sometimes, you know, storms roll through and, like, one of the suburbs or, you know, one of the s- smaller towns around the city will get just wrecked by a storm. And then yeah, uh, the next town yeah. over is fine. Like, at one point, it was in uh, 2012, my, my car got destroyed by a hailstorm. Uh, here in St. Louis, and Sam, who just lived, you know, all, across Didn't even town, get any rain. He's fine. Mm-hmm. He's fine. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, there's a few areas kind of around us here that got 13 inches of rain mm-hmm. in six hours, um, which was like I think uh, I think about the same amount of rain as the past eight or ten weeks. It's been pretty put dry, together. Yeah. Uh, so just just absolutely shattered the rainfall record for a single day by like double basically. Mm-hmm. 
And there were a few places where there were some creeks. Uh, there was like, uh, I think it was St. Charles or St. Peter's, but there was a, a creek that's normally like a foot deep. Water levels went up by 21 feet. <laughs> just, yeah. just, just submerged everything. Um, yeah. Lots of infrastructure damage. Uh, lots of homes just absolutely flooded. Yeah. We are okay. Uh, we are in. We have the high ground. Yeah. That's but. that's always like the, the top thing on my list when I'm going to move somewhere is how high how up high? am I compared to the, cause the, compared to the water. To water. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we're yeah. still like, because where, where I'm at, I'm like kind of on the, it's there's like, it's like a long ass hill or a slope. It's a big Man. slope, right? And so like the houses behind mine are like significant. They're like, they're easily 15 feet higher, like baseline of mine or just, mm. just like across the so, alley. You know? So you're going to get some, some it keeps runoff. Going. So we get some runoff, but. It then goes back kind of down, right? So, like, I'm not at the top of this thing, but there's also a lot more down to go for me, right, before mm -hmm. it's, like, mm -hmm. really you no know, problem. funky is, like, when we were uh, looking for uh, for a house to buy in St. Louis back in, like, 2016, maybe? 2015? When we started. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, there was a, a condo that was ended up being about three blocks down from where we had our house in U-City, and... We were, we were looking at, we we're like, oh, this is like really, really cute, really nice street, whatever. And uh, dad came to visit and I was like, hey, come look at this thing. And he just, we're just driving. You drive, we're driving down the street to get there. And he's like, he just goes, this is in a floodplain. And I was yep. like, what the fuck? I was like, no, it's <laughs> he's not. Like, he's like, my Midwestern farm senses yeah. are tingling. He's like, this boy. whole place is going to be underwater. Well, sir. here's what's crazy. Yeah. It's, but it was the River De Pere, which usually there is basically a huge canal right behind that street. Uh, that sort of cuts across and uh, I'm pretty sure it's the river to Perrin. So it's a, but usually there's like literally six inches of water in that thing. It gets a really low key situation. Um, barely anything ever going on yeah. there. And but that if that's where all the whole water streets, goes. Yeah. Streets yeah. called Dartmouth. That whole street flooded massively. We're talking like, 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 like five feet of water pushing cars around and shit. That yep. was basically yeah. three blocks from where our house used to be. So yeah, it's not yeah. good. We, we also almost bought a house. Uh, in a floodplain, when we were buying it, and yeah, looked it, looked into it some more, and noped out of there. Yeah, just so. remember, a hundred year floodplain now is a is every year. yearly floodplain. Year, yeah. So just keep that. In Sometimes, mind. I mean, it could yeah, it's like a, in a single day, just all of a sudden, mm -hmm. it's just yeah. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, we're we're okay. Um, but you know, if if it went up maybe another twenty feet, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. who knows where that we'll, would we'll go, be in yeah. trouble. So yeah. And the crazy thing about it is how, like, you know, you say, like, how, you know, how does, like, 13 inches of rain lead to, like, a 20-foot rise of water? And it's like, well, it's because, like, it's all, tw uh, 13 inches is just in one exact spot, yeah. right? So, if you if you say, like, oh, okay, 13 inches of rain hit, you know, an entire square mile, do you know how much fucking water that is? Yeah. Like, and then it all runs into one place, whatever the lowest place is, and it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which also makes you think. Wow, clouds are really fucking heavy. Clouds, clouds How are they weigh like, up there. They're they're heavy, clouds weigh not dense. You know, that's yeah, that's their whole thing. Basically, it's like did heavy, you have a cloud weighing heavy. like a like a like a hundred thousand tons or something? Just kind of boggles the mind. Yeah, there's a lot of know? mass up there. <laughs> well, it's, it's because of course the cloud doesn't even exist, right? It's just like what you see because there's fuckloads of water hanging around up there, right? Until. Eventually, there's so much water and just so much water that all of it kind of starts to fall out, you know. But it's not really like a cloud, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Just like a cloud is just a sort of a moisture gradient. Yeah, that has it has peaked its ghostly limbs into the visual <laughs> spectrum. Yeah. A cloud is know? like the self, you know. It's it's an illusion of a unified entity, mm -hmm. but in reality, it's just a whole bunch of stuff doing its best, just kind of mm -hmm. going wherever the wind takes it, you know. And every once in a while. Explodes into a torrential dust. It just kills everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, fucking clouds. Yeah, metaphor. My They're demons. Uh, now, what we're gonna do today is we're just gonna do some questions. We're just gonna we're gonna blaze through as many questions as we can. So we're upwards of potentially two. Who How knows? are we doing on uh, questions? Do we need people to? Do we need to have a call to action? Oh yeah, I mean go go ahead. Like I mean, since, since we only get to like one or two on a given episode, uh, we don't need that many in the in the pipe. But they do you know? expire, but so yeah, they do expire. They do expire. So so if they don't get voted upon or answered, and Manessa said they don't get answered very fast, then they eventually disappear. They wither. So mm -hmm. yeah, so you know, but pop in there, up, up, vote some stuff, ask some questions. 
Yeah, which you can do over at podcast.bscotch.net. Yep. Uh, so yeah, you know, just you know, keep cramming questions into the question tube, and you know, maybe maybe someday we'll mm-hmm. get to it. Uh, so the highest upvoted question for today's episode comes from John Flavin, who says, "What's your ideal breakfast? Is it different on a work day versus a weekend?" Mm. I will say that breakfast for me is my least favorite meal because I don't like having to eat. In principle, it's just annoying that that's a thing I have to do. It always results in chores. You know, it's like, now I got to do some dishes, whatever. Um, so at breakfast, breakfast is when my brain doesn't work yet. You know, I'm, I'm at my mm-hmm. I'm at my least capable of being a person in the morning. And then it's like, by the way, your human body needs some sustenance, you know. So, which the end result is then that for me, the ideal breakfast is the one that comes in a package Sort of a nutrient pill. A nutrient something sort of that a, takes the least amount of time and makes the <laughs> smallest mess possible, right? Um, like a, like the, that goo from the Matrix that they just sl- slop the into slop. a bowl. But yeah. I mean, you don't want to do dishes, so maybe if you could just like put your head under the nozzle, mm-hmm. sl- slop some gruel into ideal. your mouth. Yeah, so what I usually do then is is have uh, like cereal bars if we got them around. I'll just like shove one of those in my face, you know. Or toast with peanut butter on it, get some of that protein fatty protein mm-hmm. stuff going to get get something in there, you know, and offset blood sugar collapses. Um, or mm-hmm. speaking of slop, I'll make some quick oats with peanut mm-hmm. butter in it. Do those which turn is basically to just toast with peanut butter, butter, you know. Uh, you got to eat them instantly. But that's the that's the benefit of it though is that it gets cooked instantly, you know, it's mm-hmm. your, your quick quick oats. And then there's now a timer, so it's like you have to eat it fast, right, which is what I'd prefer anyway. And I also now I have to. So otherwise yeah. You got to wash it instantly. So it's actually kind of like the perfect uh, collection of incentives for like a morning situation because everything is urgent. And if I don't do it, I know how shitty it's going to be later if I don't just. Yeah, that's an that's an ADHD breakfast right there. (laughs) You're like, you're like, I'm going to pick a food that I have to eat right now. Otherwise, shit's going to hit the fan. So you get a deadline. But it's still still easy to clean as long as you hit those deadlines, you know, and so like it's. It kind of hits the best of all of the categories. Mm. And you can put whatever the fuck in there you want. I, I just go with, with uh, you know, peanut butter, but like the just the plain stuff, you know, just peanuts, no sugar or anything. Mm-hmm. That way I can put the sugar of my choice in, which is obviously honey, because that's the best sugar yeah. in the universe. And so it's just like peanut butter, honey, slop, right? Stir that shit mm-hmm. up. Mm, so good. Perfect. Down it, wash the bowl before it turns into a brick, and then you're yep. good. Then you're I, good. Th- I take a slightly different tack, which is, um, it's not that I don't, I enjoy food quite a bit, but uh, in the mornings in particular, similarly, I'm very uh, loose mentally. Yeah. So typically what I do now is actually just have a cup of coffee and I put some coconut oil in it because then you get just a big chunk of fats to get your brains mm-hmm. going. And so I just do that. Because that just basically float to the top. They do kind of float to the top. So if you don't make the mistake I did once of like my coffee was lukewarm. After mm-hmm. putting some milk in, and then I was like, oh, I'll make some iced coffee. Threw some ice cubes in there. Went to drink it, suddenly sifting <laughs> coconut down chunks. fat chunks. <laughs> yeah, because they, they turned solid just immediately. Well, it's uh, basically how you skim fat off of like a soup is you take a bunch of ice cubes and you like oh. throw them in and then scoop them back up because all the fat sticks to them, like comes well, out of a solution and sticks to them. Yeah, you could do that well, with coconut oil coffee also. Would mm-hmm. recommend though. Not good. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I typically do that. And then I usually, I, on probably most days of the week, I fast until at least like 10. Um, but usually until I'll try to fast until about noon or so. Um, and then my wife sometimes makes smoothies these days or kind of just random stuff. She'll just kind of come by and throw fruit at me usually. And so I'll just eat like some grapes or something. Yeah, it's the fruit more. version mm. of Quick Oats, you know, just yep. like throw some Yeah, stuff fruit's great because you, you get plenty of sugars and stuff and you don't have to clean the dish, man. You just eat your apple yeah, through the coat. your oyster. Yeah. Yep. Boom, boom. Eat the stem. Do the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I've had this, I've eaten the same breakfast every day for, I guess, all of time. Probably like 13 years now, <laughs> which is peanut butter on toast. That's, mm. Yeah. It's just a solid classic. Everything yeah. now, the body needs. I mean, it has changed a bit over time in the sense that I've switched to the uh, like 15 grain bread, which is awesome. Yeah. Better toast. Heavy. Uh, yeah. Cause it used to be, you know, that it used to be white, just like white bread, just like, you know. Which was it even thought, was it the whitest of white breads? Was it Wonder Bread or was it something a little less? No, it wasn't Wonder Bread, okay. but I mean, it's all the same. Yeah, it's just you know, yeah. So I don't know. It's yeah. It's, it's just it's a good like you get that slow burn protein and fat of the mm-hmm. of the uh, 
the peanut butter, it's delicious. Sometimes you get a nice surprise where like there's a hole in the bread and then, you know, when you're eating it, then yeah, peanut it butter just out. like gets all over everything. Yeah. And then yeah. you try to touch something and you get peanut butter on it. Right. Yep. And it's like, oh yeah, like nice. This is like a nice little bit of sort of chaos mm-hmm. in my morning. Yeah, yeah. You know, you never know what's going to happen. It's when good you have to have set your yourself on edge <laughs> early so that you're ready for whatever the day. Yeah. You got to be jittery and kind of suspicious <laughs> of your breakfast. Because uh, otherwise, like, what do you even do? You know, how prepared. do you wake up in the morning? Yeah, you see the world? Yeah. yeah. It's chaos out there. Yeah. Anything can happen. Yeah. Prep I mean, your, prep yourself with peanut butter holes. Yeah, I mean, I always gave, gave Sam shit because he somehow always managed to get peanut butter into everything. Yep. Like peanut butter or chocolate, like into his like phone charger hole. Yep. Uh, just, just whatever. But, you know, I'm the same. I just keep it on the, I just, I just don't disclose don't that part of my life. Yeah, you know, this is <laughs> the, risk, the risk of, you know, being an open person, you know. When you open up, you get, you get hurt. Yeah, well, you know? it's, a, it's a reminder about, uh, about <laughs> selection bias and survivorship bias, right? Which is basically like, if the only thing you, you only know about what you see. And so if you, if you look at Sam and he's telling you stories about throwing peanut butter on the wall, right? You're like, man, Sam, Sam's got like really chaos going nuts with that peanut butter. <laughs> and then, and then you just hear nothing from Seth at all about peanut mm-hmm. butter or anything, or even eating. Then you're like, so Seth is a robot, I guess, who doesn't eat and mm-hmm. doesn't make messes, right? When the reality mm-hmm. is they're both throwing peanut butter on the wall, you know? Yeah. And what you don't know is like on this video call right now, like I actually have peanut butter on the back of my head right yeah. now. Well, actually what I was going to ask if you guys were to do peanut butter in the morning, because this has happened to me, as we've discussed multiple times and are, are alluding to, that I'll be like hours later working on something and then I'll like wipe my, you know, wipe my brow or something. And then oh, there's yeah. peanut butter on my forehead. And I'm like, how? There's like, <laughs> there's like a piece of it that I somehow missed. Uh, like on the side of a finger and then it's now on your face. It's because it's so fatty that it doesn't dissolve easily. So it's just so Mm. easy to miss it when you're like, because even if you, because like most stuff when you like wash your hands, if you have like a quick wash, you know, if the water runs over it when there was stuff on there, sufficient, it's gone, Mm -hmm. right? But as soon as it's a really fatty thing like peanut butter or oil or whatever. Takes a bit more scrubbing and soap. Yeah, it takes a little bit more effort. But because peanut butter doesn't feel oily, you know, because I think when there's like, when there's still oil on you. You can feel it. If you miss it, you can still feel it, right? But peanut butter just kind of doesn't have that property. Like it's almost like just skin, you know? So it's kind of like when you lay in those uh, those sensory deprivation tanks, you know, and they have to get the the water like perfectly salty Mm -hmm. and the perfect temperature so that you can't feel it, right? Like peanut butter just naturally. If they did that with peanut butter, just like Mm. heat. All the problem is, I guess you can't keep moving it easily to keep, to, Keep the heat distributed properly because that's a core part of the whole process. Well, the thing is, you don't have to because it already is just perfect. It's just perfect. That's true. It's probably you know. a perfect insulator or perfect, not insulator, perfect conductor, right? So you just heat it from the outside to the right temperature, right? To 80 yeah. degrees or whatever. You were talking and about how, like sucking your heat away and the heat from that creates a bath that's perfect, uniform temperature. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. You were talking about how, like rainwater always goes to, like the lowest place. I feel like with peanut butter, if you get peanut butter on you, it just ends up on your face at some point. You know what I mean? Like anything yes. you got, any peanut butter you got on you, just at some point it's going to show it's up. On <laughs> it's on your face. That's because it gets on. That's because it gets on your hands, and you always mm-hmm. touch your face. Yeah. Well, actually, I think you can think of it face as, right as revealing. So you know, there's that back to the survivorship bias thing. Right? You know, there's that that story of like the these planes are going out World War II, coming back with holes in them, and they talk yeah. to the statistician. And they're like, oh hey, the missing bullet holes. The missing yeah. bullet holes. Right? They're like, look, look at all these holes in these planes. Like uh, we want to figure out like based on kind of what we're seeing, like, can you come up with a way for us to figure out how to armor these things better, right? And so he comes back and he tells them where to put the armor and it's all the places where they where they didn't see any bullet holes. And they're like, the fuck, this isn't where these planes were being shot, right? And he's like, the ones that came back had bullet holes in these places, right? And the ones that didn't come back must have been then the ones must that Must have shot been shot in the vulnerable places. Yeah. And so, so peanut armor butter those. is sort of the, uh, is the detector. Mm, yep. It's the... It's the missing peanut butter detector, right? So, but, but for hand washing. Mm-hmm. So, right. if what you do every time, every single time you're like, oh, fuck, there's peanut butter in my hand. I didn't, wasn't expecting that, you know? Just look at where that spot is. And now you're like, okay, process Ooh, of hand washing. It's revealing yep. a spot that I'm not hitting with my hand washing routine. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's actually sort of the inverse of the uh, being shot thing. Because, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. you do actually see the peanut butter where it's problematic in this scenario. Yeah. But That's it is, important. I mean, it is an important note, though, of the causal link because, like you're saying, peanut butter always ends up on your face, mm-hmm. right? Except you've got to follow the chain and say, it's because 
I always get peanut butter on my face because there's a gap in my hand washing technique, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you got to You got to follow the, follow the chain. And there's a gap in your uh, peanut uh, buttering technique because you keep probably. on, you keep, this is the shift left philosophy, right? You just keep moving upstream of the, you've got to improve, flow. you got to DevOps your toast, yeah. Yeah. figure out. Cause like yep. you can, yeah, you can address the problem at any point in the chain. Right. And, but the origin, like the exact origin is a complex affair. I mean, there's not a real source of like, this is the problem, but you can address its consequences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anywhere, but the consequences get cheaper the further left you move. So let's say you get a longer knife. So now you're never, your hand never hits the lip of that fucking jar, right? Mm-hmm. Now there's never peanut or just butter smaller on jars. your hands. Yeah. Or smaller jars. Yeah. That also works. Yeah. You know? And then now it doesn't even matter how you wash your hands. You can just stop washing them. Because, or wear gloves, you know, put on, like, act like you're in a catering business. Put on your some peanut butter gloves. Boom, your peanut butter gloves. Yeah, I will say, <laughs> I've been I've been getting uh, uh, black latex gloves for cleaning, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. if anybody... What are you, a hitman? If, you, if you've ever watched, like, CSI, <laughs> like, the, the cool CSIs, like CSI LA or whatever the fuck, right? Or, you know... Mm-hmm. Where they, so they're, like, they'll always, they always, like, they're just dressed in, like, casual clothes, and they go out and they, like, snap on these dope black latex gloves mm-hmm. or nitrile gloves, you know? And so one day I was getting pissed off. I was cleaning up cat vomit yet again, you know, and I was like, this is gross. I don't, I don't like being around this. Surely there's a solution. And then like that, I was, and I was just like, mm. what? I live in the Amazon era, right? I can surely, I can just go buy an infinite and you can, you can buy an infinite number of fucking rad nitrile black gloves, mm. which is now what I do. And so if you, if you do this, put this into your routine, come in the morning, snap on assassin gloves right <laughs> take out a fucking giant knife you're ready to murder this peanut butter right oh, so yeah getting in there. stab it and you're practicing your knife technique with this giant ass knife like maybe a butterfly knife you're flipping around doing dumb tricks right and then stab it and then you can get on that bread don't have to worry about anything because like get get peanut butter blood on your hands doesn't matter throw your hands away you know peanut blooder Throw your hands away. The first time I saw those <laughs> black gloves, I was immediately very annoyed for a very particular reason, which was that I remember mm-hmm. some years prior going to help out with something. I remember fucking what, but I had to wear some gloves for it. And they gave you like those really weird, hideous plastic gloves that are like oh yeah, the fig- like the, the fat prep ones. gloves. Yeah, that, but yeah, like yeah. their fingers are huge for some reason. I don't understand. They're the, they're the one size yeah. fits nobody gloves. Yes, yep. yes. Yeah, like yeah. Technically, anybody can get their hands in their gloves, right? It's like uh, te- literally anybody. anybody. Yeah. Is your hand the size of a Buick? You can get your hand in there. No problem. <laughs> yes. Plenty of space. But they you can fit a whole family of five in there. Yeah. yeah. And so I remember uh, I saw them. I think I was maybe at a barbecue joint in St. Louis. Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's it? Not salt smoke, but the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you know, but yeah, if you're at a cool hipster restaurant, they're wearing they're going to be black gloves. They're wearing these black nitro gloves. Yeah. And I saw them and I was like, yeah. what? You're telling me. That I could have looked that fucking cool. This was yeah. always an option, you know. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to be a Do you want to be a sandwich artist or do you want to be a barbecue connoisseur? Yep. You know, like because yeah, that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. I, high, these, these I highly weird, recommend weird floppy plastic gloves. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I highly recommend get get the get the nitrile ones. Like you can get a couple sizes. Like they're not that expensive. Um, they they cost the same as like the. Ones that don't look awesome, you know. So this is the thing. You know, these, these are the, the, the salt bay, right? That dude yeah. salt bay. Yep. He wears the yep. salt bay. <laughs> that, what even this, is this that? Is this fucking dude. You gotta look this guy. It's the guy who sprinkles shit I've ever seen. Sprinkles salt. Yeah, he's just he's just some guy who like makes dumb ass food. Like bar mostly barbecue. Like intentionally uh, dumb ass food. No, no, no. Like he's, no, he no. He's like acting as though he's like God's gift to yeah, to barbecue. No. He, he wears black. He's black circular sunglasses. He's got his hair kind of tied back. He always wears a white shirt with like an open like chest area, and then he he has this uh, flamboyantly salting things. This sort of yeah, shit. and then he and then like his signature move is like whenever he presents the meat to the and it's always just like plain ass meat. Like he just like cooks <laughs> meat. Yeah, yeah. He brings it out to the customer and he'll he'll get out this like knife and he'll make this big show of like cutting pieces of the meat off. It's like he's literally just cutting. The meat, mm-hmm. and then he and then he busts out like a like a, a vat of salt, and he like takes a big 
bunch of it in his hand. And then he does this like flourish where he like sprinkles the salt onto the meat and everybody loses their shit and pays him $12,000. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Hey, dinner and a show, you know? He yeah. knows he's doing. It's good. It's good like, uh, it's like Benny What's the show? Yeah. Some dude cut your meat and put salt on it. Yeah, the show, well, no, it's, the show, the show is, the, is the theatrics. It's like magicians. Yeah. yeah, it's like magicians where you're like, I don't care that you're like dancing around and th- throwing a cape. You know, like that doesn't, that doesn't change the act that's going on, right? But it can take what would otherwise be very boring, because some acts would otherwise be very boring, yeah. and move it into, like, at minimum, amusing. you're kind of confused, which is more interesting than being bored. Definitely. You know? I think that's yep. kind of what this guy's bringing to the table. I'd say, I would say I was confused. If you yeah, had to, I, mean, I think if you had to give me the challenge, hey, I need you to salt this food in a way that a million people will lose their minds over. I don't think right. I would be able to figure that out. I, like, I don't know. It's just salt and food. I don't know. What you want me to do about it? And he was just like, sprinkle, sprinkle. And everyone just freaked out. So I think, you know, there's some, there's some media yeah. lessons. Now, I mean, there. I gotta, I do need to kind of ease back on my criticism of Salt Bay. Because, <laughs> oh man, the marketing. Like, this dude figured out, hey, I can charge like $12,000 for a piece of meat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and people will just pay for be. it because I'm wearing gloves and I sprinkle it different. Yeah, well, thing is, is once you're hitting that, like, that tier of cost, then, which is not the same as that tier of value. People always say like, yes. oh, this is worth X, right? And, and like, but the value worth means it's like there's an intrinsic link there, right? You should always just say it costs. That's mm-hmm. that's better because it costs. That way, that's what you're not implying anything about the the reason that it does, right? But this is one of those things. Like, if you're gonna pay that much money, you're not doing it for the thing because there's no there's no yeah. stake in the world that it tastes so good compared to the next tier down. You know, your taste buds have a limit. You know what I mean? Yeah, at that point, you're spending the money because you're showing off that you can, Yeah, right? And sometimes just to yourself, that might be why you're doing it, you know? You're just oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Nobody goes to this place without putting it on Instagram. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right? That's like, the purpose. You, you go to Salt Bay or maybe TikTok, I don't know, whatever. But this, <laughs> this paying $12,000 for this event is something that, that it never happened Unless it was filmed and put mm-hmm. online. Oh, right? yeah. That's what you're paying for. Yeah. So at that point, then everything, ha- there has to be stuff going on. You know, there has to be. You got to make it ridiculous. There has to, be, there has to be cool gloves that, you know, like no, no dirty human hands have touched mm-hmm. my rich mm-hmm. person food. You know, mm-hmm. like you got to make sure that there's a clear delineation. Yeah. And, th- and I will say when it comes to like, you get that, that chunky sea salt stuff, you know, you sprinkle a little bit on top of anything instantly. Instantly better. Instantly looks cooler. So like for a lot of why I don't like cooking is because it's like, it's like finicky and they're always like, make it look really nice by putting things on top of things or next to each other. I'm like, no, put it all, just mix it up, cut it into small pieces ahead of time so I can just eat it. I don't want to have to cut it. I don't want to, just let me eat it, you know? <laughs> but the problem with that is then, it gets, then you get to the territory of like, oh, we want to throw some parsley on top so you can like see the see yeah. fucking green stuff, you know, like your, your accoutrement, right? Mm-hmm. Just throw that shit on there. But no, but it's like, why though? It's not, it's. If I want to eat it, it needs to be mixed in, you know, like otherwise. I mean, I've always, sometimes I do eat it and then I'm like, but because I can't tell. Sometimes the yeah, line. You don't know. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not prepped. It's prepped for you to look at, not for you to know how to eat, which yeah. is one of my, one of my hugest pet peeves when I go, like, go to a restaurant, like, especially like a nice one where they create this beautiful thing that is going to taste really good. But when I'm looking at it, I'm like, I do not know how I'm supposed to. Which eat. part of this is food? Yeah. yeah. Does yeah. it all go together? Is it all food? Do I like, do I eat one? You know, so although good places will tell you exactly how to eat it, which is great nice do this so like they give you the food but, and then they also give you like a tutorial yeah, like give you instructions instructions. Yeah, yeah. they say listen yeah, dummy yeah. here's how you eat yeah. food yeah it's very yeah. sweet but, yeah, but the, the thing about like the sea salt right is that now you can now you can go to town pre-mixing so now when i cook stuff just fucking mix it all together cut it in tiny pieces right and now now it's always a bowl of like a mixture of something right because that's what it's going to be anyway so now it is that ahead of time but i can still if i want to get that little flourish with a few chunks of sea salt you know, mm. oh yeah, bring just that salt like into your own life. You know, yeah, because a little yeah, we'll dash go. of extra salt, that's <laughs> just a small one, is always great in any context, even if the thing already mm-hmm. has enough salt. You know, so you just don't have to mix that one in, and you still mm-hmm. get the flourish. Mm-hmm. Just there a you know, pro tip for people. Just a little, little pro tip. Hate dealing with food the same way that put I put on your assassin gloves, put some salt on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Treat Do treat it. yourself. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Next question comes from FGKG, who says, "What is your approach to game balance and delivering a specific gaming experience versus allowing for emergent gameplay?" Mm, we've been talking a lot about this. 
We have How would you approach a situation where something unintended is loved by the community, but it goes against how you designed the game? Yeah, well, this is very timely. To answer, I think. Very timely. Yeah, probably, this is, right? Uh, this is a tricky one. I'll give a short answer to the latter question, then let Sam and Seth take over for the longer one. So the, the, that last part of the question, which is, what happens if the players start doing something or like really dive into a certain feature that we're like, no, no, that's not... That's not how it's supposed to be, you know, um, is uh, is we try to not do that because what we're making is an experience for people. people. We're not making our ego, you know, mm-hmm. so we're not making a thing like it's not right because that's how we wanted it. Right. We're, and we're not even designing it that way. We're trying to we're trying to figure out what do we think would be an awesome experience for the player. And so if it turns out we were wrong and something else is the awesome thing, then, OK, that's the thing to figure out how to cool. highlight. You know, so that's cool. Uh, so everybody wins, actually, you know, as long as there's something great in there. Um so that's the short. Yeah, yeah a, short a little example of that is the idea of the one tick switch from level head, um, which is level head. We had, you know, you can make your own levels that you can hook switches up to things. Uh, a good example would be you can have a, a turret that fires projectiles at the player. Um, and somebody found a way to make a, to affect the switch system so that a switch can be toggled on and off every other frame. So 30 times per second, basically. Which wasn't really part of our plan because every time you hit a switch that's hooked up to a turret, it shoots a projectile. So that means we were thinking the projectiles would shoot out, you know, the the turrets would shoot up projectiles, you know, once per second, something like that. Something manageable Mm -hmm. by the player where they can dodge the the cannonballs or whatever. Now all of a sudden, these turrets become almost like laser beams where they're just shooting out. Yeah. They're firing out 30 shots a second and they can create just like a a total wall of, of death. Right. Um, which is a very different kind of thing. Uh, and people found all kinds of other weird behaviors with these one tick switches, like objects that toggle between being solid and non-solid as the players moving through them. Mm -hmm. Then it creates this weird, like, amorphous physics environment where you like things don't behave the way that you would expect. Uh, it's, you know, we saw that stuff and, and, uh, we thought, well, I mean, looks oh, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> it looks cool. It's an interesting oh, well. thing to do. Mm-hmm. I was laughing cause I saw on the, on the, uh, level head subreddit, uh, which, you know, most people are in the discord. Mm-hmm. So the subreddit is a little bit less, you know, has less activity, but I saw this little exchange where somebody posted something with these one tick switches and then the comment thread resolved in somebody going like, I hope the devs don't find out about this. <laughs> Sweet child. I was like, mm, we've known about this for years. We don't give a shit. Uh, awesome. Carry on, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Think, so. I think when it comes to the question of greater game balance, I think the, the question is, is correctly framed, which is that the question of game balance is incomplete if you don't pair it with what you're trying to do with the balance. And what I mean by that is... Uh, I'm pretty sure the questions are like what you're delivering some kind of experience, right? Uh, and how do you think about balance with regard to that? So it's actually, it's very simple once you know what kind of experience you're trying to deliver. Um, in the same way that I think, you know, we're talking about like salt and food. It's like, if you know how salty you want your food to be, uh, you can put some salt on it and taste it, put some salt on it and taste it until you find out how much salt you need, right? Um, if you know what the experiences you're trying to deliver, similarly, you can, as long as you have access to a bunch of uh, uh, levers, then you can start basically tweaking things. So tweak, play, tweak, play, um, and figure it out. I think that the tricky bit is, one, is uh, doing a good enough job of setting up a combination of very broad general levers to pull on that affect everything in a particular category, a particular system. So in our case, we do some algorithmic-driven balance for like recipes, uh, component. Like how many, how much effort basically it takes to build a particular thing in the game. There's some really, really high level levers we can pull to just say like everything's more expensive or everything's less expensive. Um, but then on an individual basis, you can also override that, right? So you can say this thing in particular is really expensive or this thing's much less. Um, so having those, those levels of control, if you don't set those up ahead of time, then you end up in a position where the only way to affect the actual play experience is by basically doing some really intensive you know, refactoring or, or design work or whatever else, which is not always good. Um, so I think mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. one is basically the setup of those of those levers. Uh, but two, and I think this is more to the, the latter point of the question, which is you have a, when you have an idea in mind for a play experience you're trying to deliver, uh, it is necessarily vague and incomplete. So maybe that is, I'm talking about Crash Lance 2. And I say, if I say the words to you, we're trying to build a world that reacts 
to the player and that the player has to learn how to read, how to navigate as if they were a person in nature. Depending on who you are, where you're from, whatever, that will mean a bajillion different things to you or frankly, nothing at all. If you've never really been in nature very much, you'd be like, I don't know, I saw a documentary once. Maybe there's lions attacking something. I don't know. Um, so the the challenge is in taking what is the vagueness of like a, a vision or emotional appeal that is sort of stated verbally and then translating it, if possible, into a gameplay experience that delivers that. And then actually asking the question uh, at the end of the day, now that you have that experience, that you maybe, maybe you're approximating it, you're close enough that it seems like maybe it's the correct thing. Is it actually what you thought it was when you were stating it with your vague words? And uh, and then is it what anybody actually wants or not? Yeah. And sometimes yeah, you're so, way off. Yeah. yeah. So kind of a, an interesting example of how this, how balance factors into this is um, whenever I think about balance myself as like a, a game programmer and designer, um, I just think about numbers tuning, which mm-hmm. is basically which is basically that what you have is what you have, the mechanics, the interactions, the game systems, but you have a lot of sliders. You have a lot of different things you can you can change, which dramatically will affect the balance. So as an example, um, let's say let's say we have these creatures in the world in Crashlands 2, and they have a certain amount of health. Mm-hmm. Right, that's just a number. That's just a number you can slide up and down. So if if they have a low amount of health relative to how hard you hit with your weapons and stuff, then uh, it feels as though you are sort of the you're the strongest thing around. Right, you could walk up and you just like whack a creature twice and it explodes into some crafting parts. Right, um, which which makes the world feel generally non-threatening and you're kind of free to navigate and you kind of start to look at these creatures as like. Things that are just there for you to harvest. Or disposable. Right? Yeah. And so maybe maybe in this scenario, we have done a lot of work to create lots of interesting behaviors in the creatures. Like they, they have interesting combat behaviors. They go out and they eat stuff in the world. They sniff things. They interact with each other. Are you going to notice that? If they're nah, dead in two because, seconds. <laughs> yeah, whenever you see a creature, you're like, yeah, free, free real estate. You just get in there and just, you know, smash it, right? Um, and so it's this weird thing where by changing a single number, you know, you can fully negate an entire suite of interesting concepts and mechanics that you painstakingly added to the game. But right? it goes the other way too, right? Because if, if the place is just interesting to walk around in, right, then that also means that you've created this wider range of how the numbers can be tuned, um, because, because the, the reason that like the, the balance question referring to like number tuning, right? Is so important because it's like, how hard is it to do stuff? How long does it take to do stuff? Is like kind of what those focus on when it's like the numbers part, right? Yeah. Um, and, and those are like reasonable questions because it should, all those things should be reasonable, right? So that, so that most players will feel good about whatever that range ends up being, right? But what makes them feel good about that range, mm-hmm. right? What, what they're actually doing. It's not actually the yep. numbers themselves, right? Because like, I think V Rising is a good example of this where, it takes a fuckload of resources to build your castle walls, right? So suppose your whole job is like build and, ma- and then maintain a castle, right? But at the beginning of the game, like when you first then unlock the recipe, you're like, what the fuck? This is going to take so much stuff, right? But it turns out that because you don't actually need that many wall pieces, so like the net effect is, isn't as big. It's like once you start, you're like, oh, actually, this isn't too bad, right? Mm-hmm. But the main thing is that you're out doing stuff. You're out doing stuff and that kind of happens to get you what you need anyway. Incidentally, getting the stuff. So, yeah. So all of a sudden you're like, you come, you come back to your base like, oh shit, I can build a bunch of walls. Right. Like I didn't even think, you weren't even thinking about that really. Because even though it's actually really costly in terms of time, like still a lot of stuff had to be harvested, right. To get there because you were doing stuff, you didn't actually think about it, which is so different from a grindy experience that you have where it's like, where, where if the only thing you're thinking about is getting that number bigger or getting like this weapon or whatever, and you're trying to make that happen, right? And you're like doing the things that have to happen. There's, yeah. You just have to do that thing like over and over again or whatever. And that thing isn't fun, right? Or it's not interesting. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not only that. It's because I, I think about this a little differently because think of something like cookie clicker, mm-hmm. okay? Which is by definition a grind, mm-hmm. a numbers grind game, right? But it's weirdly compelling um, because of the choices, Right. Because in in cookie clicker, you always have a 
a suite of things to choose from to put your cookies into to to boost your your rate of cookie acquisition, mm-hmm. right? And the choice is always the same, which is do I wait a little bit longer and get this next upgrade or do I just spend my cookies now on a cheaper thing? That's literally the only like that's mm-hmm. the, that's the choice you always have, but you have mm-hmm. a choice, right? And things feel like a grind when you only have one path and one means to get there because now all you're doing is just metering out the time. Like I need, like, like if you're saying, Adam, you know, in this game, I need to build a castle wall, right? Well, well, what if there was only one way to build that wall, one way to get the materials and there was nothing else to do in the meantime, mm-hmm. right? Then now you're, you're on this, you're on this track and that's where you, you feel that grind. Yeah, you either need a right? choice in, in that cho- choice in what the goal is or a choice in how you're executing the goal. Or ideally mm-hmm. both. If you get in the t- and it needs to always both. be interesting to you yeah. while you're doing it. Yeah. Yep. And so I think when you're looking at balance and you really have to ask yourself, again, it's, it really just, it always comes back to the question, like what the experience is that you're trying to deliver. And I think that's what the, the fun part is, which is like you can, well, it's the hard part actually, which is like you can, you can expertly deliver on an experience that is not good. And what I mean by that is like you could have picked, you could have picked a particular <laughs> feel that you're trying like oh i want to make this like super uh like super frustrated like sort of dark so you see this with like a lot of souls likes game right the interpretation is not the interpretation of what the like vision is for that game is something along the lines of like it's just really hard and you have to get good and it's unfair and punishing when in reality it's not it's not even remotely what the you you wrote that vision statement down like you're just going to get a bunch of really shitty frustrated games out of it right that don't yeah and most games that are really hard just nobody wants yeah. no, nobody plays yeah. them you know uh, it's not just about being hard yeah and so I think a lot of what we've been thinking about with um, you know with Crashlands 2 and just I think in general these last couple of years has been about how to choose points in the in the sort of arrangement of all these balance levers where you have uh, you have room you have space and what I mean by that is is that the coupling between like the player having a good time and exactly what numbers you've chosen is uh, is lowered because of sort of uh, the constellation of choices you've made. So instead of talking about earlier, uh, you know, we've got these, if you have these creatures running around and that you kill them in like two seconds or something like that, you actually don't have, you just don't have room for any other potentially interesting things to happen, right? Because that is such a short interaction that there's just nothing, there's just really nothing else that could possibly intervene. There's not really a whole lot that you would even need to think about in terms of like approaching that creature or whatever else. Now, if you're making like an action arcade game, that might be exactly what you want because you're not trying to make it be the case that people are, you know, trying to figure out how to maneuver around this yeah, thing. Same idea as cookie clicker, right? There's like a very specific thing that you're yeah. trying to accomplish. So that's yeah. which also can be super fun. It's just mm-hmm. a very different yeah. experience. Yeah, balance that, means that, something different because the player expectation and your expectation, what you're trying to deliver to the player, are just very different in these kinds of yeah. games. So uh, it's very very tricky but i think we've largely been pushing toward with questions to a combination of as as uh as much space as possible generated by the designs that we're choosing for these particular things such that other parts of the game can actually exist and then uh can be engaged with by players in meaningful and interesting ways and i think that's where you get emergence which is to set point about level head earlier it's essentially where the devs see an opportunity for players to do something surprising or or for the game to behave in a way that maybe wasn't necessarily intentional and the thing is, you you can only get that in spaces where there's enough room, there's enough space resulting from the design mm-hmm. decisions that things can kind of like take on a life of their own. Like everything's really, really tightly coupled. You know, you can't you can't really do anything with that. Uh, there's not a lot of emergence yeah. that can come out of it. Um, and I think a general warning is is that if you find yourself getting really into the question of like, how do I make these numbers work together? Right. Um, always take a step back during that process and ask, what am I trying to deliver here? What is like the player experience I'm going for? Um, yes. Because, because th- like you, because like the numbers themselves like are a proxy because they're, they're helping you deliver some aspect of it. Like, cause like, cause mm-hmm. you're not trying to deliver. This is difficult. Like nobody cares if it like, right. Difficulty can be an aspect of what it's like to have the experience, but you're not delivering difficulty. You're delivering the moment to moment thing that the player does, which may be difficult. Right. And, and I think to sort of briefly summarize the discussion we were having yesterday about in the studio about uh, about Crashlands Two housing, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're basically looking at the, the question is basically like, could, should should your house be destructible? And if so, what the fuck does that mean, right? And we range this question like a lot, um, and 
And, but the place we started from originally was thinking of it as like a numbers balance resource problem, right? Where it's like, well, it's a crafting game. If your house gets destroyed, then that means, do you, get, do you get your resources back, right? And like, how much does it cost to fix it? And like, these are the kinds of questions we were asking, right? And we kind of juked sideways a bit and we were like, but what does it mean? Like, what, what is like, what are yeah. we trying to deliver to the player, right? Because like, in this game, yeah. there's a certain, yeah, there's a certain vibe. We don't want you to feel crushed because everything you've spent all this time and investment in is, is gone. But it's also a lot more interesting if something can happen to it. If you're not invulnerable right? just because you put down If you're not invulnerable. It's, but even if it just feels that way, right? So like if, if the end result of something coming in and like fucking up your place, right, is that everything is still there, just broken, and you have to dump resources into it, like that's a pretty costly fix, right? And could be pretty horrible. Like mm -hmm. it could be a horrible time that the person is. But if everything is broken and they just have to go like whack each piece with a hammer to say like, they just have to touch it basically to fix it. Right now, all of a sudden, like it's a little tedious. So there's still a cost, and there's like the emotional impact of like having their stuff oh, get knocked yeah. apart. Right, but they can fix it all in a few minutes or something, and it's not that big of a deal. And they can keep on adding layers to that to what the experiences is of actually doing it. And we're all of a sudden we're not talking about numbers here, right? Or there are some numbers because now the numbers like how long does it take, right? But we took some numbers out, like how much resources is it going to cost, mm -hmm. right? And so I don't know what we're going to do there to be clear, but but like but that's kind of the the ranging of the discussion about balance needs to include. The can we not? And yeah. what if we took the different angles entirely and just delivered in a different way than like tweaking a number? Yeah, and this is why it's so tricky because the the reality is that the numbers are a piece of it, but you can you can deliver the experience you're trying to deliver uh, sometimes by simply choosing to not do something at all or changing how you think about a particular part of the game. Another example: of this is mm -hmm. the Crashlands has Crashlands Two has docks. Uh, we had this problem in the original where people would put down floors. You basically build four floors and now you can essentially cross any body of water anywhere because you can just... <laughs> yeah, because you can just build floors on top of water and crash yeah. one. And so you put yeah, them down. Any water, yeah. yeah. You put them down, walk out there, pick up the ones behind you, put them in front of you, mm -hmm. yeah. and, just, and just do that. And the thing is, like, cross it's not a fun experience, nor is it useful. It's just kind of tedious. It's tedious. It doesn't feel like an adventure. It doesn't feel like traversal. It feels very gamey. And so... We have a basically there's a dock system in Crashlands 2 for crossing bodies of water and works great. And one of my biggest concerns with it was okay, but once you put these things down, uh, can we make it so that you know, uh, picking them up doesn't quite work the way you think? Like, it's not it's not just like putting down a floor, picking it back up, it's actually maybe they blow up when you pick them up because they're in water, you know, whatever. Um, and so you can't just sort of have this infinite docks thing as before. But what's interesting is that that solution was trying to meet where the original game was coming from, being a procedurally generated game, where there's not really any particular retreading re yeah. of the same space ever again. There's not really a value of leaving a dock present versus mm -hmm. what's shown up in Crashlands. Unless it's going to a fishing hole or something, since that yeah. will respawn there, right? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And so in Crashlands 2, though, there is a lot of value in, in retraversal because the world's hand-built. And so you actually, you want to get over to a place. There's specific things in a place. And so what we found so far is actually people don't pick up docks, which means I don't, there's, there's no thing to even worry yeah, about. It's more about, you more, it's more of a thing about, it's like, okay, I've built a bridge now. Yeah. It feels like uh, a bridge. And that bridge is, that bridge is just there because I will be coming back to this place multiple times. Um, and so the idea of like having to re- laid down the tiles for this bridge Crazy. every time I come here just sounds annoying as hell and I'm not going to do yeah. it. I'm just yeah. going to build the docks, make the make it into a bridge, and I'm done Yeah, now. so when you look at yeah. the balance of that, it's like, okay, well, you know, you're trying to solve this particular problem, which is to make this feel like an adventure, right, vision-wise. Um, someone just picking up the dock they put behind them, put it down in front of them, not exactly adventurous, very tedious and annoying. Uh, but that turns out to really be a thing that relates to how the world is constructed. It's not about... You could you can impose a cost on it if you want to. You could use some numbers to try to solve it, make the docks cost uh, less, so people maybe don't care too much about throwing them down, uh, make them blow up when you pick them up, all sorts of things. Um, but it turns out that the balance of that thing is affected actually by the shape, the topology of a whole other system in the game yeah. that you can't wiggle a number on, right? Yeah, because uh, the first thing is actually what traversal across bodies of water looks like and how often you need to do yeah. it, right? Because that's what answers the question. What do we want the because because the question still is first is what do we want the experience of traversing yeah. the world to be like and then how does crossing bodies of water fit into that how much effort do we want that to take given how we've distributed like the communities and resources mm -hmm. and quests and like whatever right around the world uh, if we want it to just be easy to cross water so it's just like a minor inconvenience because we want you to really just like get out there and like the 
world is your oyster kind of a vibe, right? Then that's one approach. If we want it to be just expensive, mm-hmm. um, then that also incentivizes making fewer things, right? So then, so then if it's expensive, a user's going to want to pick it up and move mm-hmm. it, right? But if every location is really useful to have kept there, then even if it's expensive, they'll exactly. still invest in it and, and leave it there. And they might pick it up a few times first, right? Because they're mm-hmm. trying to get to a place and they just want to get there. But then over time, if they're going to be retraversing, as Sam said, like going back and forth to the same places repeatedly, they're going to want that to be easy. And so now all of a sudden, the value of that bridge to the player is super high, mm-hmm. right? And so if they have to invest a lot into it, it feels like it makes sense, right? So, but you can, yeah. you also can take this as an opportunity to, to, as you play through the game and are trying to tap into like, how am I feeling as I'm playing it? What are, what are mm-hmm. my desires? Right. Um, and try to, try to build additional layers of game systems to meet those needs. So in the case of docs, one of the things we have is, is the idea of like being able to improve your crafting recipes mm-hmm. so that, so that, you know, at the very beginning I've, I got the recipe to make docs and I'm like, oh yeah. And I start building some docs and I'm like laying them across the water to kind of close some, you know, create some new paths for myself. And yeah, the docs are kind of expensive. Um, so then over time I come across some additional things that I can do to make it cheaper and more efficient to build docs. Right. And so I'm looking at that and now, now much like, you know, when you think about in the case of the, the cookie clicker, how just having choices of where to put your resources suddenly becomes like an interesting logic puzzle, right? So in yeah. this case, it's like, all right, I can spend resources on just making more docs, period, or I can sacrifice some docs in the short term uh, and some of those materials to to improve forever my ability to create more docs. And I think I'm going to want lots of docs. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and take the hit in the short term, do this research, upgrade this thing. And now boom, like my desire to have docs be cheaper has been answered by the Mm -hmm. game. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so when it comes to these questions of balance, you don't necessarily have to have a firm, like this is the experience, like docs are expensive or whatever. It's, you can say, you can say, here's, here's, a, a starting experience, but then we're also going to open up some paths so that if the player wants to change their experience mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, to match to match what they're interested in, uh, then the game has answers to that as well. I think right? it's, yeah. and so you just keep opening up these threads and paths. Yeah, I think it's generally just it's a way. It's frankly, I think, a better approach to use the that emotional center for the design experience uh, because the mm-hmm. the weird and to, to Seth's point, like the the weird thing is that like. You can get the same emotional experience from doing a bajillion different things on like balance, right? From changing how a whole system works, you know, changing even like tweaking some of these levers, adding something new in, uh, changing the framing, even just letting people know something exists sometimes is all you need to do. Um, There's so many ways to do it. And so I think it's really easy. And one of the things you see, I think people do who aren't as uh, fluent in design is, is just really getting fixated on a lot of the like a particular detail of a thing without like Adam was saying earlier, like you got to frequently step back and be like, what are we trying to do? And, and, and I mean that not in a, you cannot, you cannot speak that in a super concrete way. It has to be on that kind of emotional appeal and experiential feel way. It can't just be like, well, I want things to, uh, you know, cost more. Like why, what are we doing? Well, I, I would actually, I would flip this around and, and focus less on the question of what do I want to do as the developer and think yeah. about it more as like when you're playing the game, ask yourself, what do I want to do as the player? Mm-hmm. Like, how am I feeling? What what kinds of things, if I'm playing this game uh, and I think to myself, man, I wish I could do X, right? Why do I feel like that? Why do I feel like I want to do that thing? And does the game have an answer well, to I that would, desire? I would compare it though. Um, so I think the thing is you can't, you can't just go from the... Yeah it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not one directional, yeah, yeah. but well, you're right. It's like, yeah, you got to be in tune with both sides yeah. of you're it. You're saying like, here's an intended experience that I'm trying to deliver on the design side. And then when I'm playing it, what is the actual experience I'm getting? And where's like this weird, you know, where's stuff on the mark or off the mark? Yeah. And then basically it's the conversation between those two points that you can find to bridge. Yeah. To and I think, I think the important thing is to not get, to not be, you know, married to the intent and, and tune in a lot to what the actual experience is and ask mm-hmm. yourself, like, is this good? Is this interesting? So, like, with the destructible buildings thing, that's something that I've just kind of uniformly been like, I don't want that. 
I yeah, don't it, want. It sounds I don't bad, want. right? Like it yeah, sounds like having having played Eve Online and had a a bunch of Germans come and destroy my fucking space station <laughs> uh, while I was sleeping, which literally happened because they're on a different time zone and well, they can like, you know, they can come in while I'm sleeping. And yeah, blow, it's like the Ark multiplayer servers, which like I would never in a million years join because like if you leave the server, your body stays there, yeah. it's always online. And then the game is PvP, so someone's just gonna come murder your body and take your shit. You know, it's like it's not. I guess clearly yeah. a lot of people love it, but, but I think again, yeah, this is this what I think is so fascinating about it because like. To go to the top of the discussion and to reinforce what you're saying, it's like you. What you're saying is, I I don't want my building destroyed. But again, that statement is so vague. Actually, it's so vague. Actually, in terms of what that would mean, and there's and what you're actually saying is, you don't want the emotional response that you're imagining would have given what you're imagining building destroying to look like. Yeah, I'm saying I don't want to invest much of time and lose everything. Yeah, Yeah. right. Which is a different different statement. That's a different thing to say than like I don't want. Something to come in and wreck my base. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because it could right. be very interesting that, fun to have your base blown up, provided yep. certain other things were true, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If um, if it's interesting and doesn't cause like a lot of negative <laughs> effects, right? Yeah. If it doesn't suck. If, you and know, importantly, and importantly, the only reason we had that conversation was because of an accident. Yeah. Yes. Right. Because because every <laughs> everything in your base has been indestructible up to this point, and we missed a spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we missed it. We missed an indestructible toggle on a certain uh, important base item, and a, and a creature got into my house and destroyed <laughs> it just by accident. It was trying to kill me, but just you know, collateral damage. It blew up this other thing. It was very fun. And uh, and fortunately, even though that was an important progression item, there happened to be another one somewhere else on the map that I knew about. And so I had a backup so I could go – like, otherwise, without that, I would have been completely trapped and I would have had no recourse. Um, and my immediate reaction to that was like, ah, shit, that's crazy. Like, this thing got into my house and blew up my workstation, right? Yeah, it was a good um, story. It was an and interesting it's a, experience. And it's remarkable, yep. right? Which which means, like, it's something that you can talk about. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of, like, made me have to rethink my, my position on this idea of, like, nothing in your base should be destructible – because if that was true, then it wouldn't – it would not have mattered if this creature got into my house. Yep. It just wouldn't have mattered. Just be in your house now, I guess. Which means yeah. does my house matter? Like does it matter that I'm building all these walls? Does – you know, and we do have other game systems to make it matter. Um, but are they remarkable? Mm-hmm. And they're not nearly as remarkable <laughs> as – A bull coming as in your that, house. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so – so you know, sometimes you you do have to you do have to measure what you thought your intent was against what might actually be a really interesting experience. And even if that even if those things are completely at odds, you know, you got to reevaluate sometimes. And well, yeah, like, it's about avoiding the gut reaction of starting with exactly what you imagine and being and being like, no, I hate that, right? Because yeah. that is what we all do. We, we're all like, we think we know just what that means immediately, but there's so many ways to deliver any given kind mm-hmm. of. Like practical, so like the practical experience of a creature doing something, interacting with your base, because that's actually what's interesting, right? Um, like the fact that they can't at all, because we're just thinking about it in terms of damaging, right? We're like, oh, that'd be bad if you lose everything. So it's like the no, we'll just take that interaction away, mm-hmm. right? But there are so many ways that a creature could interact, even ways that are just about destruction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then outcomes that can happen. But if you're always thinking about everything in the same way, where basically like resources get destroyed and turned into loot, and like buildings get constructed, and if they get deconstructed, they give you your loot back. And so, and if you're thinking of like the building process of like putting up and taking down as the same as like the destruction process, I think like, you right? basically got to be careful that you're not using the you're not using the negative emotional uh, basically effect that you've experienced in a system like that in previous games mm-hmm. as the only way of thinking about how that system could be delivered. And I think we usually see yeah. as far as like games that suddenly stand out in a way where you're like, wow, that was there the whole time. Technically, like that was an available mm-hmm. option the whole time, but for some reason no one did it. I mean, I think you see that. Nobody did it. Yeah, you yeah. see it like Breath of the Wild. Like everyone lost their marbles. And like, mm-hmm. why? It's like, well, technically you could design an open world game where where it's more about reading the world as opposed to following quest markers. Like, there's a way of solving. This was always, this was an, always option. an option. It's just like, <laughs> and you could say something like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to have this like open world experience, but, but there's, you know, these problems of uh, player direction or, uh, you know, we have all this content. We want people to see it. How do we get people to see it without yeah. a quest marker? And it's like, there's a billion fucking ways to solve this problem. So be careful 
preemptively cut. And if there's out. a lot of stuff to see, right, and there's a lot of stuff to do, then even if they don't see all of it, if they're having a good time, then they will do everything they can to find out how to see the, the rest of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to let go sometimes. Just mm-hmm. be like, okay, I'm going to put all this stuff in the world, and like maybe the player's only going to see 5% of it because that player chose that path. So what? Spoiler alert. That's okay. Most people who <laughs> buy your game are not going to finish it. Yeah, no matter what game it is. So uh, no one's going to see any of your shit, like sort of statistically. Yeah. So get over it. Yeah. Get over it. And even, even of all the people who did buy the game, that's like less than a fraction of a yeah. fraction of a percent of the world's population. So essentially yeah. your game doesn't even exist. So you might as well just do whatever you mm-hmm. want. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> uh, that's a great place to end it, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we'd like to thank our producers Fat Bard and Sampa da Costa for putting the podcast together and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running to get more involved in the Butterscotch community go to podcast.bsketch.net where we have links to the Discord a way for you to donate and links to the archives thank you for listening and we will see you next week bye bye bye, bye.